Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello? And welcome to This Week Explained. I'm Tiana. And I'm Kervin. And as always, we'll be tackling the big geopolitical events of the week. <laughs> but first, how has your week been so far? I feel bad <laughs> I asking. I that you giggled <laughs> to that because it has been. I mean, it's not a funny. It's not funny. But... No, it's not. But, you know, you got to laugh sometimes. We, yeah. Uh, we do apologize for last week's break. It was Thanksgiving. Um, I had to travel, so we were apart. The whole time. Yeah, we had some other things that needed to be tended to, so we didn't make an episode. But apologize. Yeah, uh, so we're very sorry to our biggest fan. Our one single fan that we have <laughs> that listens. And you know who you are, you know. so you're listening right now. Yeah. You and probably you don't. can tell everybody about it. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, when I did get back, I was able to watch the uh, Osage documentary on CNN. Do you yeah. want to talk a little about that? Well, it's called This is Life with Lisa Ling. And, you know, every week she does like a mini documentary on, you know, something. I don't know. <laughs> and th- but this I always week- say it's the one thing CNN does right. What? Documentaries? The do- well, that documentary. It was incredible. I learned a lot from it. Well, first of all, we need to say what it's about. It's about the <laughs> Osage Reign of Terror. That my family has a connection to, and actually my family was interviewed for the documentary. And you you see Eddie hold up a picture of our great, great, uh, how many greats? The great, 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 great grandfather? Great, 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 no, I think it's just great, great for yeah. me. For me, I think for it's you. just great, great. But anyways, and then seeing the picture that he holds up to the right of the the main man, Joe Bates, is... Little other Joe Bates, my <laughs> great my my grandpa's daddy. So I I just loved seeing their faces. I mean, it's sad that this is what it pertains to. Yeah, I, we're not going to give it away. No, if definitely watch. Yeah, it. Yeah, if you want to watch it, please watch it. It's something that has it's not taught in schools, but it should be. And while while all that was going on, um, there's a new COVID nineteen variant it, omicron yeah it had been uh, a while since we had a new one it did reach the u.s oh. in canada that mm-hmm. two in i believe minnesota that mm-hmm. uh, came from new york city so get ready for that folks <laughs> and also a big thank you to everyone who reached out over the last couple weeks and offered their support as we try to survive the rest of this year on an individual level um, I don't know what I was going to say there, but yeah, th- I, no, I do want to Bring think. on 2022. Yeah, bring Roll on. the dice. Yeah, we are, we're done for this year in case you guys didn't get it. We're tapping out. We're not done giving you the big political news. Yes. Geopolitical news of the week. Yeah. So what are the big stories for this week? Well, we have the big Russia-Ukraine conflict update. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and then I've got a fun little story about the sh- the spy who shagged Canadians. <laughs> You're going to love it. It's great. That title. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, just one big story for the week, though. Yeah. You know, there are hundreds of stories that have happened over the last couple weeks, but none bigger and not a single one more important right now to the geopolitical world than Russia's increased efforts at invading Ukraine. So we could have done how the State Department continues to work to negotiate the release of the rest of the missionaries in Haiti. Uh, China, who is continuing to run exercises in the area of Taiwan. As I said earlier, coronavirus reemerged in the international headlines as the Omicron variant was labeled a variant of concern. But the most pressing story remains, possible armed conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Okay, well, give us the big Russia-Ukraine update. So Russia continues amassing troops at the border with Ukraine, stoking fears that a conflict in the region is closer than it has been since the 2014 Russo-Ukraine conflict. Can you explain the background on this again? Uh, Definitely. Ukraine's been governed by President Volodymyr Zelensky and his Servant of the People Party since 2019. And he's confronted Russia's ongoing occupation of Ukraine's Crimea region, as well as other parts of eastern Ukraine. So since Ukraine's independence in 1991, Ukraine has been a leading recipient of U.S. foreign and military aid in Europe and Eurasia. Many analysts, myself included, believe that of all the former Soviet bloc states, Ukraine's independence has been the most difficult for Russians to accept. Many Russians traditionally considered much of Ukraine to be a historical province of Russia and Ukrainians to be close ethnic brethren. Even in July of 2021, Russian President Vladimir Putin published an essay expanding upon claims he has made regarding Ukraine's ties to Russia and maintaining that Russians and Ukrainians are one people. Putin even ran for president with a platform of returning the Soviet bloc countries to Russia And Ukraine is the most important piece of that platform. Um, With that information in mind, what is going on along the border of the two countries? So as we've spoken about before, Russia is amassing troops along its border with Ukraine, and the two countries are on the verge of conflict. Ukraine has been vocal about its interests in becoming a full-fledged member of the National Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, while Ukraine is a NATO partner and benefit from NATO's $1.2 trillion a year budget. Becoming a NATO member would give Ukraine access to military options in defense of Russian aggression. If Ukraine becomes a full NATO member, the odds Russia could reclaim Ukraine diminish greatly. Russia will invade Ukraine before an agreement can be finalized, and that will lead to armed conflict in Europe. What is Russia saying about all of this? Well, as always, Russian officials deny they are planning an invasion. saying the troops are deployed for military exercises. Uh, The Russian foreign ministry, which has previously criticized NATO for military drills in the neighboring Black Sea, accused Ukraine of sending 125,000 troops to the border region this week. Uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin has stated that any support of Ukraine in the form of missiles that can reach Moscow will be viewed as a red line, and Russia will retaliate. As time passes, the red lines will become broader, and more vague, giving Russian freedom to invade Ukraine. What would be an example of a vague red line that could allow Russia to invade Ukraine? That's an excellent question. Uh, Russia could vocally announce that any European troop movement along the border with Ukraine will give Russia the right to defend itself. How is that vague? Well, 
it'll depend on the definition of troop movement. Russia could view peacekeeping entities as European troops, thus leading Russia to act swiftly. If Putin can frame the issue as unacceptable and in a way that makes an armed conflict with Ukraine palatable to the Russian people, he will do it, and he is doing it, by changing his own definition of Russia's red lines. And what happens if Russia invades Ukraine? Or should I say when they invade Ukraine? Yeah, looking at all the data points, it definitely looks like a foregone conclusion. Russia will invade Ukraine, much like they did when annexing Crimea in 2014. How will this conflict differ from 2014? Well, 2014 appeared to be a jumping off point for Putin and the Russian Federation. Some analysts view the annexation of Crimea as a test run for future conflict in Ukraine that could lead to additional invasions of Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. In 2014, the international community did very little in dissuading Russia from attacking Ukraine's Crimean Peninsula. The United States government imposed sanctions against persons they deemed to have violated or assisted in the violation of Ukraine's sovereignty. The European Union suspended talks with Russia on economic and visa-related matter. And still today, they're considering more stringent sanctions against Russia, including asset freezes. Uh, Japan announced sanctions, which include suspension of talks relating to military, space, investment, and visa requirements. And the UK deemed the annexation of Crimea of being farcical, illegal, and illegitimate. But Ukraine received no military support from NATO countries. Were there countries that viewed the Crimea annexation in a positive light? Yep, indeed there were. Uh, None of the countries I will name will surprise anyone, uh, but those countries that recognized the Crimea resolution were Afghanistan, Cuba, North Korea, Kyrgyzstan, Nicaragua, Sudan, Syria, and Zimbabwe. To me, it seems as if a very important country is missing from that list. I I like where your head is at. And uh, yes, China stated they respect the independence, sovereignty, and territorial integrity of Ukraine. Yet a spokesman restated China's belief of non-interference in the international affairs of other nations and urged dialogue. They abstained from voting in a U.S.-led resolution reaffirming U.N.'s commitment to Ukraine's sovereignty, independence, unity, (laughs) and territorial integrity. Uh, That resolution, though, failed due to Russia's veto. Okay, so what are the updates on the current situation? Well, Ukraine and its Western allies have stepped up diplomatic efforts to warn Russia against launching any military attack on Ukraine by spelling out the consequences of doing so. And those consequences are? Mostly new sanctions that would deteriorate Russia's already diminished economy, which would then become Russia's excuse for invading Ukraine. Mm -hmm. That invasion should lead the NATO countries to invest militarily in helping Ukraine defeat Russia's advances along the border of Ukraine. So right now we're just having a war of words. Uh, Exactly. Both sides are using the media to direct the narrative. Mm -hmm. Uh, NATO is putting out statements on Russia's attempts at conducting a hybrid war. And Russia is using the state-run media to garner approval from its citizens in the inevitable outbreak of armed conflict in the region. What is a hybrid war? Well, it's a blend of political, conventional, irregular, and cyber warfare, while using other influencing methods such as fake news, diplomacy, lawfare, and foreign electoral intervention. According to that definition, Russia has been a part of a hybrid war with Europe and the U.S. for years now. Why is this different? 
Well, hybrid war is mainly a theory of military strategy and does not constitute a legally binding act of war. What makes this different from, say, what Russia's done within the U.S. with misinformation, cyber attacks, and election meddling is that this hybrid war with Ukraine is being conducted along the backdrop of 100,000 armed Russian troops along its border with Ukraine. All right, so the big question now is, what is NATO obligated to do if Russia invades Ukraine? Understand, I'm not asking what should NATO do or what could NATO do. Rather, what is NATO legally obligated to do? Okay, thank you for that clarification, uh, as it can better help scope my answer. So in 2016, after Russia annexed Crimea, NATO and Ukraine signed the Comprehensive Assistance Package for Ukraine. This guided NATO's strategy for supporting Ukraine with joint work at the strategic level that will enhance Ukraine's ability to better provide for its own security. One of the main tenets of the agreement is to provide support to counter hybrid warfare. Recently, however, NATO Chief Jen Stoltenberg has stated there is no binding obligation to defend Ukraine as it is a partner and not a member. That difference in definitions between a member and a partner is what is at the center of this whole conflict. Russia understands if Ukraine were to become a member of NATO, the country would have the full military backing of the top global military powers, greatly diminishing Russia's ability to take control of Ukraine. So right now, all NATO is legally obligated to do for Ukraine is to continue to support Ukraine on a strategic level until Ukraine is invited to be a member of NATO. Will that ever happen? Uh, Russia will invade Ukraine before NATO officially invites the country. How can you be so sure? Well, all the data points are there. Russia's true red line is Ukraine becoming a part of NATO. Okay. At that point, Putin's main election platform becomes a failure, as they will be unable to justify a war with all of Europe and the United States on the basis of returning Ukraine to the Soviet bloc. Russia will need to invade Ukraine before it is a member of NATO, and hope the gamble pays off and NATO decides to remain neutral in an armed conflict. Does NATO even want Ukraine as a member? Well, that's a very good question, because if the answer is no, then why is all this happening? But NATO views Ukraine and Georgia as the top two candidates for NATO membership, and both countries are former Soviet bloc nations. Russia has asked NATO recently for a written declaration stating Ukraine will not become a, a NATO member, and NATO has stated they will not make that proclamation. <laughs> That's quite concerning. <laughs> no doubt, and we will continue to follow and update this story as it progresses. As always, we hope cooler heads prevail and conflict or crisis is averted. So what else do you have this week? I know where this is going. <laughs> we are going to stay in the Eastern Bloc of Europe while also traveling to the great country of Canada. Mm. In 1966, the country of Canada would be rocked by a national sex scandal so catastrophic that it would terrify a generation of politicians into basically becoming prudes or at the very least keeping their sexual desires at bay. And this all revolves around Gerda Munsinger, who was born in East Prussia in 1929, and East Prussia is uh, modern-day Kaliningrad. Little is definitively known of her early life. She crossed the border between East and West Germany on several occasions, and as a result was reportedly arrested for espionage by the American border police in 1949. 
Shortly thereafter, she began learning English and worked as a secretary in a hotel, where she provided secretarial services to American President Dwight Eisenhower and his wife. In 1952, she married Michael Munsinger, an American soldier stationed in West Germany, but their marriage was annulled after the U.S. called her a security risk and refused to let her immigrate. Canada also rejected her until she tried again with her new married name. Munsinger was the central figure of the first national political sex scandal in Canada and was dubbed the Matahari of the Cold War because of her involvement with several Canadian politicians. Munsinger became involved in relationships with a number of high-ranking Canadian government officials, most notably cabinet member ministers George Hees and Pierre Sevigny both of whom sponsored her application for Canadian citizenship. That's a pretty good background on who Gerda was. Now let's get into the down and dirty of what she's accused of doing. All right. Once on Canadian soil, Gerda Munsinger worked in Montreal nightclubs, some of which had ties to organized crime. And in 1959, she was introduced to Pierre Sivigny, an associate defense minister and a decorated veteran who lost his leg in Germany. Even though Sivigny was married and missing a leg, Gerda would later tell the Star newspaper that neither of those hindered Sivigny from having sex with her. <laughs> was she successful in gaining intelligence from the men she was interacting with? That is the big question in all of this, because to this day, very little is known about what information Munsinger actually acquired for the Soviets. But what is absolutely apparent is that the scandal rocked the Canadian government and led to the resignation of several high-level politicians, to include Pierre Sivigny and mm -hmm. George Hees. And then in one final twist, a review of newly released documents suggests that Munsinger may have accidentally helped in the practice of capital punishment in Canada. The Canadian House of Commons was brought to an embarrassing standstill by weeks of arguing over Munsinger. It was evident the Canadian government needed the scandal out of the news, so they debated the legality of the death penalty. While the initial vote retained the death penalty, the debate raged on, leading the Canadian government to abolish the death penalty in 1967 for a trial period of five years, and the story of Gerda Munsinger was successfully buried. Anything else on your radar? After that, I think we are out of time this week. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. As always, if you like this show, please try to tell at least one person about us. We can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, head over to Apple Podcasts and give a five-star review. Those help us get noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally. And as always, if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, please subscribe to our community at oquantanalytics.com. Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there.